Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Gavin Lancey joins us from Denver, Colorado, where he is president and founder of Savvy Home, a custom integration firm founded in 2004. Savvy Home recently launched a franchise business model to provide entrepreneurs with a turnkey program to enter the smart home technology and light commercial markets in the Mountain West region of the U.S., Our guest today has spent years developing a business model that offers franchisees the tools and support necessary to build a successful operation. The program offers comprehensive technical training, marketing support, and access to the company's extensive network of resources. Today, we'll learn more about our guest's career path in home tech, his company's history, and how the Savvy Home franchise model actually works. Gavin Lancey, welcome to the podcast. It looks like you're having a spectacular early November day there in Denver. Every day is spectacular, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. And uh, you said offline that you, uh, although it's 71 degrees there, uh, here we're recording on election day. Um, <laughs> you've got a little winter weather coming around the corner there. It is Denver. It's not supposed to be 71 in November, probably. I think it's the sun shines like 300 days a year here, but yes, uh, any minute it will change and we do have snow coming tomorrow, I believe, so, <laughs> you know, it's we're, we're in for it. It's, yeah. it's great to be in Denver for mm-hmm. sure. Um, well, we, you and I uh, spoke um, this past summer kind of leading up to Cedia Expo and then reconnected actually at Expo there in, in your hometown, which was very convenient for you to, as an exhibitor. Um, and I want to spend lots of time talking about the franchise model that I previewed here uh, in the intro, but uh, I think our audience always likes to get to know um, the person that we're talking to first as a guest. And I, I, I kind of peeked at your your bio on on LinkedIn. I you know even though we talked, I I noted that you have a degree in economics from the University of Utah, which is a pretty unique pedigree for the CI business. Um, and I do remember that the main reason you got into the CI business was because of your father. Um, but can before we get into that, what were some of your early interests? Do you um can you can recall what you wanted to be when you grew up? Well. A professional ski bum was certainly on the radar uh, all through high school. Although when you get to the reality of it, that doesn't pay the bills uh, really well. So yeah, I I grew up in in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, My parents had a place in in Frisco, which is just up the road. And so we would go up there kind of all through when I was young, learning how to ski, spend a ton of time in the great outdoors here in Colorado. And that's what brought me to the University of Utah, actually, is going out there for, for the skiing. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, that, that, I guess would be the, was the original goal, but didn't last long. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's not uh, a, a very, very, um, obvious career path. I mean, unless you hit the Olympics maybe or something, but, uh, right. right. Yeah. And then at, at that point that it's level. work, it's not exactly <clears throat> being a ski bomb. You've actually got to put in the, the extra <laughs> training, right? Yeah. Um, well, the nice so part about being in Utah was it was right up the road. So it could get, you know, 100 days of skiing in a year while running a business and going to school. So, you know, it's uh, wow. it was a blast. Well, I, 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 I do recall part of your your story is that you got into a painting business. Now, was that a college business for you or earlier? 
It was, yeah. So, so look, I grew up and and went to high school in in Boulder, and then went out as a freshman at the University of Utah, where I started my own house painting business. And so, uh, we turned that business into a national uh, internship program called College Works Painting. And what we did there is basically teach college kids like myself, get my buddies together to run our own painting business, right? Just in a territory where we, it was a door to door model. So I'd go out and pound the pavement, knocking on doors, trying to find people who had some peeling paint on their windowsill and saying, Hey, we could give you an estimate, you know? So we learned how to basically systemize the bidding process, the sales process, the marketing process, how to hire employees. Uh, we, uh, we have a credit line at a paint store where people buy their equipment and materials they'd need um, and made some good money basically running my own painting business. And, you know, I, I found that I had a knack for sort of the systemization and processes around business. And it really interested me. I would stay up uh, late on the weekends at nights, tinkering on my, my systemization of things when my friends are out at the bar and, you know, they give me crap, but I, you know, I just found a lot of passion around, you know, building a company. And uh, yeah, so I, so I was able to, to, grow that company across Utah, um, expanded here to Colorado, um, you know, learned a lot from mentors through that business and business partners to, to basically scale that company uh, modeled on a franchise model. So learn what is needed to support uh, potential franchisees or just people who, who need uh, coaching and mentorship uh, to guide them to be successful. So yeah, we were able to to scale that across the company. I sold that business in in 2013. Wow. Okay. So, how, how early on did you stop painting houses yourself? Well, I so yeah, I I didn't do any of the painting first oh, year. You never I remember did. hiring yeah, couple couple buddies from the dorms and some frat buddies. I was an inner frat, but I went down and cold called the frats, walking <laughs> in there saying, "Anybody need a summer job?" And of course, they all did. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was able to employ my buddies and college connections uh, and pay their wage on payroll. And I was, you know, kind of the business orchestrator guy, you know, yeah. and uh, I got a kick out of being sort of in that leadership role. How did that apply to maybe some of your major uh, work in economics? Did, were you able to turn that into any kind of a paper or any any classwork, coursework there? Or was that just a totally separate thing that you were studying kind of not business, but economics within the university and creating a business. Um, yeah. So, so I was exploring a lot of things and, and I, my mind have never been a great student, um, at least mm. in the academic world. I okay. found myself as a student, but I got to learn by doing, I got to get my hands dirty and, and actually touch and feel stuff to, to grasp it. And so I, I found very quickly that running a business as a freshman in college I felt like I was getting an MBA by actually implementing everything that was happening in the classroom, but just the real life experience of dealing with clients and, and talking to suppliers and like having these real life conversations and ultimately just pushing myself outside my comfort zone to try new things. That's how I really was learning. And so my, my academic side, I was dabbling in, in communications and economics and a minor in business. And, mm -hmm. you know, all those things I feel is important. You got to get the ticket. And I went to class. In fact, I never missed a class my entire career in college. Um, you know, a passion point for me to go there, do the work, get in. But, but outside of that, I mean, my real learning happened by doing. 
and okay. and and I was able to execute through that painting business, and and that's what I feel I learned the most skill sets from uh, as as I grew through college. Well, and I know that your your dad uh, Tyler Lancey um, was the founder of your current company, Savvy Home. And he founded it in 2004. Can you give some of his story as well and how he got into the CI business? For sure. Yeah. So, so that same year in 2004 he, um, that I started College Works Painting, he, he, was, he founded Savvy Home. So back then, uh, he got into it as a super tech nerd, uh, you know, really loving high fidelity audio systems. That was his passion project. And he found that he could make a good living selling nice speaker systems to his rich friends in Boulder. I mean, that was kind of, uh, where, where he, he got a kick out of that. Um, he always was kind of a futurist as well. So he sort of saw this space as, you know, what could come with technology prior to his savvy home start. Uh, he, he had uh, a couple, a, a computer training business. So he was actually in the forefront of teaching, businesses and people how to use Microsoft Excel and uh, mm. Microsoft Word and things like that as the personal computers were sort of, you know, coming on in that stage of the world. So he always sort of had this tech mindset and what could come next, but the passion won out. And so at his age in 04, that's when he wanted to, he went out and, and started Savvy Home. And, and, and his journey, yeah, was, was paralleled a lot with me carving out the 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 college works model and those back and forth conversations you know every other day being my my direct mentor on how I could do things differently how he was doing things within savvy home from a marketing standpoint finding new clients you know systemizing the uh, the the estimating process for example all those things were just you know minute conversations um, that him and I would toy back and forth and yeah I really considered him of course as any father son would. I mean, my biggest influence and mentor in, in business. Um, and so we had tons of, of conversations around what the plan was for Savvy as, uh, as it was growing uh, back in, in the, what was that, mid-2000s. Mid and had he moved his operation, uh, you, you, were, you grew up in Boulder, you said, right? So he, uh, was he operating in Boulder or had he moved to Denver? No, it was just in Boulder locally. I mean, it was a okay. real small shop. He, it was, he was kind of a one-man show for for okay. a good number of years and ended up hiring one, one technician named Dusty who uh, about a year into the business who ended up doing a bit more of the heavy lifting and Dusty's still with us today, actually. Um, <laughs> okay. But uh, was a, it was, it was him and, and Dusty just kind of growing the business as a, as a, as a two man show for, for a good number of years. And so then when is it that you decide uh, you're going to join the business um, for, with your dad? Yeah. So, so we, so I sold College Works in 2013, and that was so for about 10 years, I was working on that and was exiting out that business at the same time I was uh, looking at dad's next step and, you know, the opportunity to kind of carry on the family legacy. And so we ended up settling on a formal buyout. He was always, he always said, Gavin, you know, you're, 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 you're definitely not ready for this business until you go out and get your butt kicked. Like that was his thing. He's like, you need to learn. Like there's nothing is given in life. Nothing is free. You got to go earn it. Um, and so, you know, we formalized the buyout process in 2013 where, you know, I was able to take some of the 
the the money I made and put it back into this business and, and give him kind of an off ramp, you know, um, hmm. kind of right around that time. So the business okay. was smaller then. And, you know, we've added, of course, as the technology's changed, you know, to be a full on integrator uh, since since that time, you know. So let, let's talk about this getting your butt kicked part. What, what did he want yeah. to see besides <laughs> you having to like have skin in the game and purchase the company, which makes sense. He, you know, he wants you to do this the right way and own it. Um, so what, what did he, what did you experience that he felt you would, you would uh, kind of had the hard knocks that you needed to t- take over the business then? Well, yeah, I, I think it all had to do with, with real life experience. And, and, you know, we always had a mentality to fail forward that look, the only way that you're going to learn in life is by making mistakes, but don't make the same mistake twice. So, you know, learn from it, make changes and, and, and try to do better. And so every week, every month as the painting company had its ups and downs, you know, with crazy growth years that were down, you know, was always about what worked, what didn't make those changes and then try to continue to improve as a leader, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you learn way more, Jeremy, from uh, from your failures than you do your successes. And so I think that was was integral to, you know, how how he saw me just developing as as a human, you know, in in my leadership ability. Uh, to go out and prove it, man. Like, look, you know, nothing's just going to be given to you. So, yeah, get yeah, after it. The- so yeah, the hard knocks were coming from your painting business. Then he was observing that as you grew that company, and and then yep. you're when when you um, did you you kind of worked as partners there for a bit as the ownership yeah. was changing hands. For sure, yeah. So for a lot of years, again, you know, I, I I really had no technology experience, of course, and so I needed to learn the ropes, and so I came under his wing to to learn the the current systems, sort of the. I, I had a good base in in the construction industries, right? The trade partners and how that sort of worked with being in a painting company. It's a home services idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he mentored me all the way kind of through that. And of course, kind of turned into a bit more of the, you know, board member CFO um, idea. And we always had the idea, like I said, to, with CollegeWorks to eventually franchise this business. I mean, that, th- those were talks back since 2005, 2006 on, on could we actually do it? And so we spent a lot of years working together to get the business model refined where it's repeatable, where it's, it's, it's simplified, where it can actually be expanded uh, with maybe someone who, who knows nothing about that. And, and unfortunately, my dad was killed in a car accident in 2021. 20, uh, so uh, in June, right before Father's Day, that was a drunk driving incident. And uh, he, of course, passed away. And you know, I, I tell that just because every day I think about it, of course, it, 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 yeah. it pulled out a piece of my heart um, and still does, you know, right now I get emotional even <laughs> telling, yeah. telling it to you, Jeremy. But, um, you know, we, we I, I've, I've tried to refocus and I went through a real dark period in there where. I didn't know what was up, what was down, what, what the eventual outcome was, was going to be. Um, and I, I'm fortunate, though, because very quickly I found by, by looking at Savvy Home and, and looking into the family business, I found this, I'm not going to get too spiritual on you here, but th- this ability to communicate with him mm-hmm. on a different level. 
seeing his fingerprints all over the family company um, is a way that that I'm able to talk to him and still have that dialogue, um, which again, grief is a very weird thing in, in, in life. And I've been now straight into that for a number of years. And, and I've really turned that inward to find my way to, I guess, keep in, in conversations with my dad. And every day I get to come into this office and, and get to work is a mindset shift that, that I've been able to find that, that solves my get up and go to work problem. And I, mm. and, and I'm very fortunate in that in, in a way I've, I've tried to make my lemonade out of those life lemons, uh, to, to, to have that now. And, and, and I, I don't know how I'd be able to really function as an adult without this company. I mean, it, it really, he was so close to me as a dad and, and son, but, but we had the fortunate to work together for a lot of years to, you know, to be that close on a professional level outside of the family level and things that we did together that of course go into a father son relationship that we also had the business side. And so I've, I've, I've continued that and, and, and feel a, a bit of sense of healing through growing our company. And so this, um, this franchise plan was something you had talked about together. Um, you had talked about it for your painting business and then you were, you had begun talking about it for savvy home as well before your dad's accident. Yeah. Yeah, we did. I mean, we, we just, we looked at franchising as kind of a, you know, it, the business model always fascinated, fascinated me. I mean, it's, it's a true win, win relationship between a franchisor and a franchisee, something that you can go out and give someone support. They say in franchising, it's about being in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And the part of my personality type is just doing best for my people. Seeing others succeed, you know, warms me up, kind of makes me happy. And so looking at a franchise opportunity, and as I learned through my college works days, having others go out and sell jobs and produce happy clients and, and see a business actually move by having a little hand in that leadership bucket gives, gives me a kick. Um, and mm-hmm. so we always thought that maybe there's an opportunity to do that within the, the custom integration business, although it's much more complicated than house painting. So it took a lot of years to, to actually refine a model that, that makes sense to do it. But it was always part of the conversation for sure. Today's episode of Residential Tech Talks is brought to you by NICE, the global manufacturer of smart home security and building automation solutions. NICE is bringing together 30 years of innovation with award-winning products from Elan, Speakercraft, and Panamax to create a holistic ecosystem for builders, integrators, and consumers. Learn more about how you can create one home with one solution at go.niceforyou.com backslash RTT. And what, at what point um, are you in a, in a position with the idea to where you can launch it for real um, and announce it pre- prior to Cedia and then exhibit at Cedia um, to try to promote t- p- potential entrepreneurs who want to be franchisees with you? What, what, at what stage so, do you feel like you're good to go? Yeah, right. Because you, you, you never know. 
I never, you know, and there's always self doubt. I always have this, well, well, what if it doesn't, you know, happen and what if it doesn't work? But I think there was a long lead up of just improving the business model. And I remember sitting down in 2021 in March with my, with my current team, we had a team of four of us and, and we sort of had, we called it our vision meeting and we put up on the wall, like, where do we see this business in, in, in five years? And, and then where do we see this business in 10 years? And, and, and we, we sort of built this plan on a bunch of, of whiteboard sticky notes up on, uh, in, in this conference room down in Denver. I remember it. It was, it was right during, uh, you know, COVID times. So we all had our masks kind of going on and the door opened to the outside. And, and I remember the team going, well, sounds like a good plan, but a plan is only so good. It's about how we're going to execute. And so through since, since those two and a half years till CDA of this year is we really started to put the systems on paper, the legal documents together, the operations manual, the training programs, like all the deliverables and actual writing and, and, and uh, you know, recording and everything that's been doing to, to get the model ready to go. And, and we sort of threw that date on Cedia just this year in 2023 as maybe our go live. Because again, you know, a business plan, you have to sort of start with a, a end in mind and then reverse engineer that to figure out what are the little baby steps, right? Well, okay, you know, you want to launch a franchise company. So what are the little steps we can do to start to, to pick away at that, you know, and, and, and it's been a beast, but, but that was kind of always in our, our mind saying two years out, could we do it? And, and we held ourselves really accountable to that. And we ended up filing our documents three, three weeks prior to that CDA deadline. Wow. So it came to fruition and we were able to, to bring our message out because you have to have a bunch of docs filed before you even can, brand yourself and say you're a franchise company, um, based on the FTC rules. Okay. And Mm -hmm. so, so the concept of this is not to acquire, not a Bravas type of thing where you're acquiring existing companies. You're really trying to get startup entrepreneurs to sign on and start a business from scratch essentially as under your franchise. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's the idea is, is it's not a corporate acquisition play and mm-hmm. it's not even a corporate expansion play. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and if you boil the, the, the dollars and cents to it, it's not a really a money grab because those, those models are much more profitable at least short term for sure. You know, mm-hmm. which is why I think a lot of companies don't explore the route of franchising. You know, our, our purpose again has to go a little bit towards the connection with my dad and mm-hmm. the idea of that business model being something unique to see if we could do it because the amount of investment, yeah, sure. It doesn't pan out when I take a small percent of royalty, you know, mm. uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> to actually make any money doing this thing. So, you know, it, it, it really is, is interesting, but right. We want to find those executive leader types, people that want to be in business for themselves, maybe have an interest in the CI space and give them the tools, training and support and administrative side to get to profitability sooner and ultimately be successful in their own integration companies. And what is their um, initial uh, buy-in, I guess, if that's the right term, or uh, what, what's required of them initially? Sure. So, so we have a $50,000 franchise fee, okay. and then we take a 6% royalty. So that that's, candidly, that's where we hope to make our money on the long-term annuity of, of, producing jobs, making more happy clients, and hopefully we'll make some money down the line, right? When we get those those running. The franchise fee is basically reinvested back into our franchisees with the training, the support, 
both field and and classroom style that we plan on delivering to them, you know, to give them access to kind of four main pillars that we've built. Uh, and I can share those with you. We'd like to sure. basically a, a marketing and sales program, a vendor relationship program, an accounting and bookkeeping program, and then a customer service program. So we, I can go into those more in depth if you like, but those are sort of our four things that, that we have people behind, departments organized so we can deliver, you know, on those pain points of this business, you know, to give them an opportunity to hit the ground running that much faster than trying to figure it all out on their own. Because we've sat down, we've done the work, we've gotten beat up, we made the mistakes. That's what, that's how we got here, right? right. We learned from them, we made the changes and, and, and now we're here. And uh, one of the those pillars that jumps out at me is the manufacturer, the vendor relationship thing. And I w- wondered what the response had been from your vendor partners uh, when you when you announced or when you maybe gave them a heads up that you were working on this franchise model. Uh, doesn't seem like something that's uh, probably been encountered very often, if at all, for the vendors in the CI channel. What, what was their reaction and what's the the support been like from them? For sure. Um, the initial reaction was, wow, that's ambitious. Um, <laughs> and then once they swallowed it, they said, that's actually a pretty cool concept. And again, it kind of goes back to the the win-win idea. Um, and you can almost add it as a win-win-win, right? Where where our vendors have, have, have really been awesome in the sense of, well, we see an opportunity to sell more product. Right. So that's that's a win for them. Uh, you know, Savvy Home Franchise Company is, is mandating the product line, the portfolio, the solutions and the packages. So all the SKUs that we've vetted out and settled on, these are the ones that that our franchisees are allowed to use just to try to simplify the process. Right. That it's not, you know, anything off the shelf that we really want to be guided towards the solution. So so we feel like the manufacturers can win by getting that business for those those SKUs and product lines in their portfolio. The franchisee can win because we want to pass on our purchasing discounts, our buying power to their individual shop uh, right. where, versus if they just started up as a dealer level, maybe they don't have the buying power um, that they have through a, through a label like us. And then, and then the win for us, you know, being well, just that, that, you know, ideally we can, can steer, the whole ship, you know, to, to, to bring better solutions to the end clientele that we know are going to work, that we've practiced and, and used and, and vetted out the stuff that doesn't work. And, and so to us, that, that win-win piece is how we, we're trying to find every opportunity. And the vendors um, have, have been awesome with, with trying to figure out ways to, to work with us on that front. And I, I guess uh question i'm trying to think of the cynical listener who is saying you know why why this company why why do they think they're so great and think that they should (laughs) you know procreate (laughs) throughout the mountain west um Mm -hmm. so what was it about your company operation or what is it about your company operation you think has been successful um what what have you done um to show that you're a really strong business that should then replicate essentially um for lack of a better term, into other franchisees. Well, I've talked a little bit about the systems that we've done, but no, no business system or strategy matters unless the people are engaged in it. And so mm. at the f- front of everything is our team and our people 
who get up every morning, go to work and, you know, do their absolute best to take pride in what they do. And, and there's, there's real power in that, in the culture that we've cultivated and, and created here at Savvy Home with the people on our team that want to do what's absolute best for the clients, that, that want to go the extra mile and above and beyond mindset, that live our values every day, going to work, right? And, and that's, that's a special thing, you know, seeing them develop and learn as leaders in their positions and adding more technicians underneath them, you know, and more support staff to, to basically grow. And, and, and so that's where it starts, right? Because none of that matters unless we get after it every morning and execute on a really high level. Okay. So, so I think, I think that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I don't know. Yeah. We're, we're, there's a lot of great integrators that do fantastic work installing these, these, these great systems for clientele, you know, across the country. And I think there's, there's a lot of us doing, trying to do the same thing, just a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. And the idea with franchising is bringing a level of consistency to the process. Right, Jeremy? I mean, have you been to McDonald's recently or no? I try not to, but I know the concept. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I I also don't visit on a regular basis, but everybody understands McDonald's and their, you know, foothold in the franchising and just business world. Yeah. You know what you're going to get. It's the same type of thing. You get a, you get a French fry here in Denver is the same thing as a McDonald's French fry in, in Boise, Idaho is the same thing in Paris, France, right? It's a, Mm -hmm. it's a McDonald's French fry. And that's because there's a whole bunch of steps to making a McDonald's French fry that have been documented process behind, and they're doing it the same way. Right. And so I just felt like that kind of consistency piece was missing in this industry. Um, And we aim to solve that with, with franchising. So what is the range of the types of systems that you've done uh, for uh, Savvy Home for as a single operation um, are, as far as budget range, um, con- you know, complicated size of homes, um, you know, integration of home automation versus lighting fixtures, shades, all that stuff. Is it, is it all of the above? Are you pretty much a, a typical integration company or have you kind of set put, put bumpers on like how far you want to get into a huge operation and home that may bog down your, you know, your system. Sure. Yeah. Well, well, again, I, I think that we've carved out a sandbox, right. That we, we play in pretty good. And, and, and we've defined that because of our experience and in, in the type of projects we've done. So we definitely do high end custom. Uh, we also have, packages in place that can hit, you know, the single TV above the fireplace or just a single video doorbell, right? Like, you know, so, so, so we do look at how we we've settled on sort of our pricing structure and sort of a good, better, best again, with the vendor help and and the packaging that we've put together for how we bid projects, um, whether it's, it's everything we do. We, we, are like a lot of integrators that handle pre-wire. We do audio video systems. We do lighting control. We do Wi-Fi networks. We do blinds and shades. Uh, we do security and surveillance. Uh, and then of course, layering a whole house control component on top of that to make, make these the, the smart home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that our, that the, the, 
industry in itself, a lot of these price points have continued to come down and, and we've tried to adopt the best solution for the client, right? It doesn't need to be, you know, off the top charts, uh, highest end speakers that, that are out there, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got a, an option for that and a solution with that. But we really focus our approach on solutions first and having that price point from very entry level all the way up to, yeah, let's do the mega home theater, right? Mm-hmm. are all underneath kind of our wheelhouse. But again, okay. that doesn't mean we offer 10,000 SKUs of, right. of product, right? Because we don't. We know what's worked well together and, and plan to replicate that. Um, I do have an endpoint, which is I want to get to who you're looking for as franchisees and the culture and all, all that. But uh, some of the things that come to mind, I talk to integrators when I go to you know buying group meetings and things like that. And we talk about the the, the sort of challenges of the um, business landscape right now for the industry, we call it the economy, but it's more than that. It's the um, it, it's been things like um, supply chain delays and, um, you know, just inflation, it, all the different factors that they're they're encountering. Um, <clears throat> how have you weathered all of that as a company? Um, because it seems like you have a pretty good system. Did you have the same challenges that everyone else did, or did you kind of work through it in a new way that others can learn from? Sure. Well, again, can't speak to what others have done, you know, rather than what I've learned on. But, but to me, yeah, we had all those same punches in the face, <laughs> and it was it was brutal. I um, I think it, we're coming out of that a little bit, but I I think there's there's I try very hard not to focus on the things I can't control. Okay. Um. Again, more part of my philosophy is is being aware of those things, uh, but keeping them a bit at arm's length and say, let's not spend a bunch of brain power on the things that aren't in our direct control. Mm-hmm. And so goes back to each day, what can I do to improve myself as a leader? What can I do to give the feedback to my people to get better as as human beings? And what can we do to 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 get better solutions for our clients? Like every day, it's just with that approach. Then some of that stuff on inflation and whatnot, like I don't know. Hopefully, it solves itself, maybe. But you know, we're just not gonna not gonna sweat on that because I, I have so little influence over it, right? Yeah, and I guess um, that's my question: is you in in the press release when it came out for your savvy home? It was um, quoting your your 300% growth rate since 2020. And I think a lot of companies went through this really big spike in business after COVID when folks were spending a lot of disposable income and were at home looking at their houses and trying to improve them. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have supply chain hiccups and it kind of, it, it sort of shifted what could be purchased and people started to kind of inventory stock up inventory for the first time when everything had been just in time before that. Um, I just wondered if, um, you felt like the the business in general was sort of at a level place at this point. It's kind of growing still. Any kind of just um, finger in the pulse of, of things from your perspective, as I talk to other integrators, I like to ask them that kind of question. Um, what are you seeing in mm-hmm. terms of just the, the health of the industry right now? Yeah. Well, you know, again, I, I am far from a futurist, right? Um <laughs> But what I what, what I know is our data, our numbers, yeah, have have continued to grow, and I I, I think the industry, you know, is is moving to a point of clientele who are more comfortable with with the app and voice control. 
they, they get the value of technology in their home on a wider scale than maybe they had in the past. So that adoption of our services is just there. You know, it's just a, it's a market need. And, and I think a lot of clientele are, are trying to find who's, who's the trustworthy person to actually deliver and make this easier in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Technology is such a pain point and it doesn't have to be when it's done right. But when you jumble a bunch of systems that don't communicate well together, you have technology pain, right? Right. And so so I think that's where where we've always sat and and see that on a larger market market trend that says, well, yeah, these these customers hopefully are, are, you know, looking for our services. So how do we reach them? You know, how do, how do we find them? And hey, franchising is a, a, a good way to do that in a bunch of new markets um, that say our corporate shop doesn't have reach to get to yet. Right. And so then that yeah. brings me to the question about who you're looking for in a, in a franchisee. Um, it seems like there's a, a cultural fit for sure, the way you describe your employees, your company. Um, so mm-hmm. who who's this? Um, or what do, what do you kind of, I guess, looking for there and uh, your standard of excellence to sign on somebody? Yeah, uh, good question. So for us, it, it has to be values and culture fit first, right? And so, you know, our values real quick, people before profit, thirst for learning, above and beyond experience, earn the right to be here and do what you say you got to do. Do what you say you're going to do. If someone doesn't fall underneath those, we can't partner with them. So, you know, that aside, it's like values on a piece of paper mean nothing. It's how we live. It's how we act. It's how we, it's how we, it's who we are, you know, as, as human beings. So that, that culture in our, our organization, I would say every one of our employees, you know, practice those values every day. So there's a real deep discussion in that saying, you know, is that how you value your life? If so, then yeah, let's continue the conversation. But for us, it's, you know, it's going to be that executive leader, right? That, that we want the people to be able to hire employees and scale a, an integration company. In order to do that, you have to have the leadership skills to inspire and manage people. We feel we've corporately built a support structure that helps the administrative side you know, of the company, the, the teaching, the learning, the, the classroom training, the LMS videos and scripts and all that stuff that we've put together, both on, on a business operation sales side and also the technical side. Right. So there's been a ton of time and energy and sweat into those things where we feel if we get the right personality type, that go getter who wants to grow a business and can can lead people, we can make them successful here. Right. And so, yeah, you know, we're 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 entering a lot of those conversations about people who see this industry as a whole, as an opportunity, as something that's growing. I think research and markets has data out there that it looks at the 15.2% compound annual growth rate between now and 2027, right? So that's a pretty large number, over $190 billion industry by 2027. So there's growth happening here. And, and so people, I think, see that and say, well, okay, does that mean I get into business for myself or do I be I become a, um, a sales rep for a, a different company? And those are all, you know, there's avenues to jump in at all levels, right? And now we're just looking, saying, hey, maybe if you ever thought about being in business for yourself um, and, and are done working for, for the man, so to speak, <laughs> like, you know, maybe a franchise is, is a good fit for you. And it doesn't need to be our franchise, right? I mean, you know, franchising in general, I think, does a really good job at 
the good ones who do it responsibly, do it ethically, uh, you know, do what they say and are transparent about what they believe, that there's success stories all over the country about really well-run franchise experiences, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that's what we are, are looking for is the people first, the people that fit the values, that fit the culture, that want to take advantage of the home automation space and feel like they want to want to be a business owner. So um, kind of as we wrap up, where where do we stand now in terms of finding those first um, franchisees? Well, so I'm not going to give you too many details, but the discussions are are ongoing, right? Mm-hmm. No, nobody buys a franchise overnight, yeah. okay? <laughs> a lot of due diligence needs to go. In fact, forced due diligence, right? We require them to go sift through this, talk to other people in the industry, read through the disclosure documents. All these things are are mandated, some of them by the FTC in general, just saying, look, there needs to be holding periods to help you make a good educated decision, right? Um, I could say that, that yeah, we're, 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 we're right on track where we need to be, you know, to uh, uh, hit our, our growth goals, you know, to, to work towards our, our budget and what we're spending to, uh, towards. And I've been really impressed by the caliber of, of people that actually look at, at at acquiring franchises. And, you know, uh, there's been conversations with investor groups too, that are looking at multiple territories and putting, you know, people in place to manage those. And so these are all, you know, discussions that, um, that we're having and, and yeah, well, uh, as we get towards the end of the year, we're, we're excited to put some people on paper. Oh, great. Okay. Good to hear. And, uh, and you're still focusing just on the mountain West initially. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so there's handful of registration states that obviously we we haven't filed docs. We're not selling franchises in those. But right now, for us, it's Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Nevada, Texas, and Florida, um, okay. as well as there's a handful of what are called non-registration states. Where if the right opportunity comes, you know, we'd entertain that. But but again, it's all as we start the first couple. It's about their real experience and the support that we're able to offer them. And so regionally makes a lot of sense. Now, again, I've built a model that's ready to scale, right? Mm-hmm. That the support, a lot of it is can be automated, can be developed. But like you look at training as an example, Jeremy, everybody learns differently. Mm-hmm. So having a training model that fits one size solution is not a good way to do it. So I've built the training model that has a visual learning, a, an auditory learning, a, a reading and writing component, a, a getting in and doing and, and discussion type of learning. Right. And, and, and so so we've tried to, to put this whole thing together where where people will be able to grasp different parts of it. And as humans, we have to learn through repetitive uh, practice that that you don't say everything can't sink in with one, two, three conversations. It has to be practiced again and again over and over until it really is committed to long term memory. Right. So. So, yeah. So, so like the support end of the people first you know, that are going to be there to, to give whatever questions come up, but using the technology to run a company and run a franchise business is something that, Hey, we're, we're really good at that stuff. Like we've been doing that since I was, I was much younger. And now it's, it's just so much avail- more available with the, the processes in the cloud and, and there's the business backend systems to provide that support. So we feel like we can grow nationally, but for now, yeah, we want to expand Colorado Utah, Nevada, Arizona, Texas, and again, Florida, um, and feel we can be real successful in those states. 
Well, there's so much more to learn. And I think once we get to the first franchise um, owners being announced, then we can talk again and and really just talk yeah. about what it looks like to scale up those particular franchisees and the ideal size and things like that. I don't want to get too much in the weeds and give away too many details that maybe you want to keep private. But uh, right now, it's sure. just exciting um, story and developing as as we speak. So um, great talking to you, Gavin. Thanks so much for giving us the background and telling us all about uh, Savvy Home. Yeah, I appreciate having me on, Jeremy. And yeah, it'd be cool. You know, we'll get we'll get one of them on on the on this podcast at some point. Tell their story, right? Because sure, I got a story, but you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully theirs can can create that extra validation. So yeah, I appreciate you having us on. Gavin Lancey is president and founder of Savvy Home. You can learn more about his company and its franchise opportunities at saavihomefranchise.com. And that wraps up today's show, which was produced by Residential Tech Today, IPW, and Pretty Easy Podcast. Please check out prettyeasypodcast.com if you want professional and affordable production help on your own podcast. And if you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you watched or listened to this episode. Also check out all the latest residential tech news at our magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to our print or digital magazine, and to our Tuesday and Thursday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. This show was produced by Pretty Easy Podcasts and made possible by listeners like you. If you ever thought of doing your own podcast, please visit prettyeasypodcast.com. Hey, hey, hey.